0: Not all of us eat like Amish grandmothers like Jack does, but uh, but anyway, we. Uh, I, when I got here, I thought, man, maybe I'll get somebody to just eat like I do, but no. But anyway, Dan and Sue, good to have you all here. And um, it's so not only awesome to have uh, uh, have you guys here and also celebrate that, but hey, thanks again for all of you who helped raise the money to be able to feed the pastors there and also get them their sleeping um, mats and that, and that was really cool. So that, it was just really neat to see you all support that. I am excited about the the book of John, uh, continuing this series. Let me be transparent, because that's our strength here, right? I was so excited going to bed about this message. I woke up excited about this message. I preached this message at 9 o'clock, and I felt like it was a practice run. That I, I was a little choppy, and I, I went to Jack. I said, Jack, I just give me points of correction. He said, just be you. And, uh, and I think it was, what's amazing, what's going to happen here is, you know, we read the verses. Now we're going to go through and break them down. But these are, there's so much happening, so many people, this one's being called, this one's being sent, this one, we're going to, it's going to be, we're going to have to be sharp in in watching as we teach through this. Again, if you're brand new here, what do we do? How do we preach? We preach through a book of the Bible. And so we finished a series on Nehemiah, now we're going into uh, the book of John, we're three weeks in the book of John, and we are in the first chapter, we're going to close out the first chapter today, and so hopefully... I won't butcher this, and I'll make sense of what this is, because there's some really amazing things to be learned and to be grasped in this chapter. So, let's pray. Let me pray for me, okay? Let me just get that out of the way. Let's just go ahead and pray together. Father, we just, we come to you excited about uh, about opening your word, that there's people who cannot freely do it like we can. Um, And Father, we come here in different stages. Some of us have had the privilege of being in the word. Some have not yet. For some, they're just saying, Lord, good morning, and uh, we're just praying that we can be what uh, of a sponge today of your truth and uh, your teaching. God, don't let me to get in the way of anything. Uh, let this teaching be crystal clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, the book of John, chapter 1, if you'll go there. As you're going there, you're going to see that we are in the middle of a, of a scenario that's been lasting a few days. John the Baptist has been baptizing. John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet First New Testament t- uh, preacher, and so he is. He's been baptizing. We learned last week that baptizing was not something that started out and began in Christendom. Baptizing was a practice that was adhered to in the Jewish religion. So, if you were not a Jew, if you were a Gentile, and you wanted to come into the Jewish faith, you would be baptized. What John the Baptist was doing was baptizing people, and the. And the message of repentance. That you need to get clean and start repenting before God. So this Jewish uh, religious delegation comes down to investigate. They come down to ask what's going on. They walk up and start asking questions like. Who are you? And what are you doing? And and John the Baptist points him right to Jesus. He starts saying this is why I'm here. And there's a man about to enter the scene. He's been standing amongst you all. And he's going to change everything. So they start out why he's baptizing. So There are now discussions amongst the people gathered around. We know there's a crowd. We know there are people listening. There are people watching. What's the response going to be? Is it going to be who's this fanatical person calling himself a teacher? Is he going to try to splinter the church? Are people going to start a revolt against this man? Are people going to say, "John, we've heard enough about you, but you're saying that this is who, this, you're saying this guy's the Messiah"? What is the reaction going to be? So let's look at John chapter one, verse thirty-five. And again, bear with me. We're going to we're going to stop. We're going to talk about some verses. Talk about and, and just kind of get a better grasp of these next few verses here. The next day. So obviously it's a three-day scenario. So we're into the we're into the days here. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, first thought is looking at this, you notice that uh, he said. Behold the Lamb of God. We, again, he said this in last week, we talked about the importance of that. How big that would have been to a family having grown up their entire lives. A ch- since a child, understand what it was like to take this innocent, pure lamb at one year of age to Passover, to the synagogue, to the temple, to have it slaughtered as an offering to say, God, we love you. You know, And so now, you take a culture that's had that ingrained in their psyche, in their life, their entire life, their entire being And now you're being told, behold, this is the Lamb of God. And that is a total paradigm shift. And so again, he reiterates, this is the Lamb of God. That's the introduction of Jesus. And then if you also notice, there were two disciples. The disciples heard him. Did John the Baptist have his own sect of disciples? Yes. If you were a disciple, you were a learner. You were somebody who was learning under a teacher. And so these disciples that were around John the Baptist, he looks, he looks at them and says, Behold, that's the Lamb of God. Go follow Him. And they did. That's an important lesson in life of a church. I had a discussion with someone with yesterday. If we're not careful, not talking about any particular church, but we have to be very careful not to emulate what we see in the church community. People sometimes say, well, you know, um, this person comes from this church, and I, this is our member. And our... When it comes to the gospel, when you go to the day of, I mean, we stand before the Lord, and you are standing there, you're not going to be there as a member of Creekside Baptist Church. Or Baptist, we're not even Baptist. You're not going to stand there as a member, of, we won't be Baptist church, but we won't, you won't be a member of Creekside Church. You won't be a member of Bay Hope, of Idlewild, of Grace. You will be either a believer or not in who Jesus Christ is. John the Baptist gets this. So I had a discussion with someone the other day and I said, you know, I, you know, if I hear a fire, I put it out. And I hope you do too. If you hear anything like, oh, well, you know, you guys are stealing people. No, put it out. I would like to think we're above reproach in that area. But I talked to this person, my other church, and I said, let me be very clear. And if, this, if your comment of stealing people was not spoken in total ignorance, I probably would never speak to you again. The fact that you would consider someone beyond the position of being a human being and property is offensive. We would have hoped that died at the end of slavery. No church owns you. We don't own you. John the Baptist did not own them. He understood what it was like when he saw Jesus and said, Behold, that's the Lamb of God. That's the greatest man that ever lived. Who, by the way, Jesus, whoever will live. Jesus, by the way, would say of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the greatest man that ever lived. That complimentary nature going back and forth. But at this point, it was like, here, go. Go follow him. He's greater than I am. Go follow what God has in your heart. And that is the reason we mentioned last week. You have a front door of a church. You have a rear door of the church. And you celebrate both if it's the will of God for that family. Amen. And here you go into this particular place where John the Baptist is saying just go follow them. And what do they do? They immediately start following him. Look at the attitude of John the Baptist that we'll see later in John chapter 3. Look at John chapter 3 verse 30. He must increase that I must decrease. Those are the words of John the Baptist. He said in order for us sometimes it means that we must decrease and so he would increase. Look at verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them what are you seeking? Now Jesus is famous for asking this question. He asked this question often. Uh, As a matter of fact uh, they're going to reply with a question themselves. Watch this. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher where are you staying? I would say that's the point of the most least profound questions you could ever ask Jesus. What are you seeking? Where are you staying tonight? You know, what a retort. This is Jesus saying, what are you seeking? He is going to keep this theme going throughout the book of John. He, continually in continuing the book of John, is going to say, what, what is it you want? And as a reader, you're thinking, the man's blind, Jesus. What do you think he wants? He wants to be healed. But see, Jesus knows that if you give that man sight, and in three months, he's still going to be dealing with the issue of salvation the the issue of his life the issue of value the issue of security the issue of does god exist he is asking these questions because he's intent on asking these questions you know somebody one of my friends asked a rabbi one time why do you always answer a question with a question and the rabbi said what's the matter with that <laughs> you know? but the, ra- the reality is jesus is one who's asking these questions what are you seeking he's going to say this later to people who are saying are you after me because you want to be fed? You want loaves of bread? Are you after me because you want to see signs? And you want to see wonders? What are you seeking? So when they ask this question, Where are you staying? It's a great question. It's, it's a question where they're basically saying, Man, I, I want to know more about you. This is, that, this is saying, I want this relationship to go further. Further. So they answer, by the way, did you notice they answered rabbi? You saw in parentheses in the scripture which means teacher. Rabbi literally means my great one. Literally means my great one. This was a term that was given as a term of endearment, positionally or personally, to somebody who had taught them, who had been an investor in their life. It wasn't until the end of the first century that this term, rabbi, was actually denoted and given to a person who went through rabbinical training. So this was not an office title. It wasn't like you went through some training and you, you, you were necessarily rabbi. You could have and you would have, but the term rabbi was used very, very loosely. It would have been given to somebody who you just really respected and really thought of a lot of. So I just wanted to break that word down for you, a little bit of understanding of that. But they when they, when they asked this question, where are you going? There's no theological questioning. They, don't, they know they're not going to get their answers uh, given at this moment. There's, this is no time for discussion. Middle Eastern culture still has this crazy aspect of hanging out. You know, you go to the Middle East and you go to someone's home. You walk in the home. It's really interesting. that The home, there's not like a dining room, a kitchenette and the living room. It's, it's just one room, one common room and they roll out the beds for people to sleep in and they roll out the cushions for people to eat in they're different cushions and so you would have people over and, and it was really crazy in afghanistan they would ask you to come to their house for tea it was totally confusing i would always it say please come to my house for tea i'd say oh no please no please come to my house for tea they would ask you again and i said to the translator said i'm really uncomfortable i feel like i'm turning these people down he said no if they ask you 3 times they really mean it The first two times is just a total, um, uh, just them being nice. Would you come to my house for tea? They have no earthly desire to have you come to their house for tea. (laughs) And so you start to see this culture and how it works that, you know, they're basically, they're saying to Jesus in a reverse sense, where are you staying? They're being really bold here asking this question. Where are you? Where are you going to be? We want to go where you are. So verse 39, let's keep rolling. He said to them, come and you will see. So they came, saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for about the tenth hour. When Jesus says in verse 39, come and you will see, Jesus who in all his glory retains all his incredible attributes is in an incarnate form, in a human form, he is restricted with a human tongue, dealing with human ears, and there is no possible way he can tell them all the things that they're going to see. He simply says, just come and see. Come and be a part of this. I don't know if you've ever been a part of anything so majestic in your life where you go to wake somebody you've you got to come see this. Well, what is it? No, it's, a, it's either a, a sunrise, a mountain, a, a child walking, or whatever. You've got to come see this. You don't want to miss this. This is the same vein in which he said, I, I want you to come and see. Verse 40. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. Okay, for all of you who are younger brothers, younger sisters, and you hate being identified when you go to school as being the brother of, the sister of, and you're thinking, you know, unless you had really cool siblings maybe, but you're thinking, man, how unfair. The reason John is mentioning this is by the time he's writing the book of John, remember, different John, not John the Baptist, a different John. The time he's writing this, when you see Simon Peter's brother, he knew most all of the audience, Jewish and non-Jewish, knew who Peter was. So he's given identification there. That's in case you're asking why he does that. Verse 41, he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. We have found the Messiah. He has been with him, what you could count on in the period of hours. What happened in that discussion? What happened overnight that he ran and he did not say, Keep in mind, what he saying, he, he, he goes and finds his brother Simon, he says to him, keep in mind, we've, oh, this is not a rabbi, we haven't found a great teacher, we haven't found the greatest expositor, we haven't found the coolest miracle worker, no, we, ha- we have found the Messiah. Their entire life, their entire religious being, they have been waiting on this moment of conclusion. They've been waiting for this moment. In all the years of being taught, in all the hundreds of years of silence, they all knew a Messiah was coming. For him to go to his brother and say this, we have found the Messiah. Do you know what a profound statement that was? You talk about the reaction of Simon to think, what an overstatement. You're saying you found him, the one, the messenger, the Christ. You're saying that one. Keep in mind the conflict going on between all these men. You've, so you have you have one coming, you have two coming on. Now you have um, you have Andrew coming on. You have Simon is about to come on. He's about to get a different name. Watch their reactions. Verse forty two. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, "You are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter." There is no indication here, none that Jesus knew Peter's name before he got there. He knew Simon's name. Simon walks up, Peter looks at him and says your name's Simon. He not only identifies him, not only says this is your name, here's what else he says. I not only know your name, I not only know your identity I know your destiny. He looks at him and says you will be called Cephas which means Peter. For those of you who understand the, the Synoptic Gospels, the other Gospels, and when we walk through you're going to see Peter gets uh, an identification more to, that, that explains this name, the Rock. He says, I'm going I'm to you're going to be known as the Rock. You're going to be that one which I will brag about to say a church can be built on you. Not only do I know who you are I know where you're going. Peter hears this he, by the way, the new name Peter. He hears this. He looks in disbelief. And he's thinking, "What? Who are you? Verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. And he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Okay, now stop here for a second. Let's think of this through. Jesus has been sought out by certain disciples. Now, Jesus, can you go back to verse 43 if you could? The next day Jesus d- decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. You don't find something unless you're looking for something. This is a dichotomy of the gospel. You have the ability to follow who Jesus is. God has the strength and the ability to come after you. So I was, I was at, a years ago, was it, do you all remember Mama's Pizza on Dale Mavery? Can we just weep in its closing years ago? And uh, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting across from a, a kid who played baseball at University of Tampa. His name is Joey Simon. I remember in the middle of a slice of pizza, I felt the prompting of God that just said this, just tell him about me. I mean, it was so vivid. It was, it was beyond words. It was louder than words. It was just a sense and a feeling. I remember looking at Joey. Joey's eating. I said, Joey can you stop for a minute and I was going to say he thought it was he was eating too loud he's like yeah, what is it I said Joey I mean it was just very evident and I said Joey man I, I've got to tell you um, I have to tell you that God just put in my hard to tell you about him and it was incredibly uncomfortable I mean he's looking at me I did not know the kid. We second time seeing him. First time at a baseball game, and our team player says, "Hey, do you, you need to go out and lunch with Jake because he'll always buy your lunch." I guess that's and so our dinner. And so I'm sitting there. I said, "Joey." He looks at me, and I'm thinking, "Man, this this guy's gonna look at me like and run." Well, long story short, right there at that table, he prays to receive Christ, and and I'm sitting there thinking that God would use me God would do this but I want to I show you how else God works in, what, in, in this particular case look at verse 45 Philip found Nathanael and said to him we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophet wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph okay Philip found Nathanael. Remember, Jesus found Philip. What does Philip do? This gives me chills. This is one of those moments you read this, if you're reading it one in the morning, you get kind of chills and choked up. What did Philip do? Philip found Nathanael. So you see how this keeps going. Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathanael. And he said to him, we have found, who, who does he introduce him as? Does he say we found the Messiah? Listen to his introduction. His introduction, by the way, is interestingly unique. It's common in which the structure, so I'll break down the structure for you, but it's, it's unique in how he introduces and watches. We have found the one, not who, he doesn't identify him as Moses, or I'm sorry, Moses, Messiah. He doesn't identify him as Messiah. He, we found who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. He's coming at Nathaniel with a different background. He's coming to him with a little bit more evidence in nature. He's not just simply saying the Messiah. He's saying, oh, the one Who Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, that guy that we've always wondered about, prayed about, anticipated about, that one is here. Oh, and then he says, Jesus, son of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, which is keeping in how you introduce people. You would introduce them by, you know, this is Jeff of Alabama, the son of your dad. And so you would say, this is Jesus, the son of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You would identify by the village and then your dad. And so he was, he's giving him this typical, perfect Jewish introduction. However, there's two things. He says he's the one who all the prophets wrote about. And then secondly, he throws this curveball in here. Jesus of Nazareth. Every student of scripture, of the Pentateuch, they all knew that Jesus or this Messiah would come from Bethlehem. It was told he would come from Bethlehem, come from Bethlehem. Jesus is not known as Jesus of Bethlehem. Note of Jesus of Nazareth. So he's saying, oh by the way, he's brought up in Nazareth. He's throwing a curveball here, but what an introduction. He's saying, but this is the one in no uncertain terms. And so, we start, we go to verse 46. And Nathanael comes back with a retort and a a question. Keep in mind, Nathanael has just been told, the one we've been waiting on, that guy, the Messiah, the Son of God, this man is here He's alive. What is Nathaniel's incredible, profound response? Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Polk County? <laughs> <laughs> Philip said to him, Come and see. And so, first thing he does is, and by the way, uh, you know, Shale, who I always joke on being in Polk County, I'm not sure if I mentioned I was at Lakeland Hospital. Yeah, and I'm from Land of Lakes, by the way, I don't have much room. Nathaniel is from Cana. He's from Cana, which was not a thriving metropolis. Cana was a town of um, well, a lot of ill repute. It wasn't a town of a lot of wealth, a lot of knowledge. And, um, and, but anyway, we joke around. I will joke around and say the Lakeland valet at the hospital lost my keys. And for an hour and 45 minutes, I had to wait. So anyway, just throwing that out. I, I Never had that happen in Land Lakes. We never had valet in Land Lakes, but... <laughs> Oh man! But I got an hour and forty-five minutes worth of great visual of Polk County. Let me tell you what, and uh, it, it, I'll keep the text. Yes, sir, I got it. <laughs> it's so easy. Uh, Philip said to him, "Come and see." So it. it remember earlier, Jesus says, "This come and see." So you just got, you, I want you. Jesus says, "I want you to come and see." Philip says to Nathanael, I want you to come and see. Do you see how this pattern is going on? This is the explosion of the gospel of how we know it. It is now about to break out like a wildfire. And it's starting right here. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. If you want to scribble little notes, this is a quote out of Psalm 32. Where It says, Blessed is a man of, of no ill repute and of good nature and no deceit. So he quotes, Jesus says, Here comes a man there in which there is no deceit. Behold an Israel, a great Israelite indeed. Verse 48, Nathaniel says to him, How do you know me? You don't know me. How do you know me? He looks at him, and 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 Jesus answered him. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Can you imagine this response? Nathaniel is walking up, telling Philip, "Man, listen, nothing good comes out of this place." Then he turns a corner, and Jesus. They start interacting. And Nathaniel Nathaniel says, how do you you know me? And then when Jesus says, I saw you under a fig tree. In teaching with the mantra of what we do here. In preaching and teaching, learning the art and science. There's times we'll tell you, this is what it means. There's going to be times we tell you, this is what it could mean. And then we're going to tell you times what it doesn't mean. This is one of those moments, going to be clear and give you three folds of thought. Sitting under the fig tree could mean one of three things. It could mean an actual physical fig tree that Nathanael was sitting under. Could be. There was also Jewish tradition of the time that said a fig tree represented a sense of security and home. And so some theologians say it could be that. Thirdly, they say there's another, rabbis would often refer to it as, I'm going to go sit under the fig tree. As a sense of, that's a place for meditation and prayer I'm giving you that historically I've always been under the impression you saw him under a real fig tree but the object of this is not what was he sitting under was it a fig, was it a pear, was it an olive the object of this is that Jesus saw him the object is not what kind of tree, what relative nature it was it was the fact that Jesus in his omnipresence could see him It's the supernatural power of Jesus. That is what you want to take away from here. There's a reaction where verse 45 was a great enough introduction but what what does Nathaniel do? He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Nathaniel goes from what good can come out of Nazareth to all of a sudden, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. The fact that he was under the fig tree goes back to this. When I sat across from that table with Joey Simon at Mama's Pizza, eating a slice of pepperoni pizza, as much as I felt that prompting to sit and tell him, you have to know something. Joey Simon was under the fig tree. And Jesus was not surprised. Heaven was not in wonder. There was no, oh, I, I wonder if. No, have you ever shared the gospel with someone when it comes to that moment and you feel like just nerves are going to throw out of your mouth before a word does and you don't know what's going to be said? When the reality is, God met Joey and I there. It was not a wonder. It was not a by chance accident. It was a moment where God knew he's under that fig tree. Jake, tell him about me. Have you had moments? It's been a time when you look back in obedience, you can some of us a lot of times we can look back in regret, and we know we had moments. There was an opening. There was a door. Someone was under that proverbial tree. And we missed it. We aren't held down in the area of guilt. We're held down in the area of hope and second chances. This is the opportunity that I recognize that whenever I look at someone, that may be the moment God has placed them in the path. And I have to be open and willing and ready. You don't want to walk around picking green fruit all day. I mean, some people are really good at evangelism like that. They just just walk up to strangers and start talking. It's not me. I'm going to let you down that you're thinking, well, gee whiz, one of the pastors here is not a great evangelist. I'm just being real. I recognize there's a discernment and a presence and a peace of the Holy Spirit. And he gives it. So what does it mean, Rabbi? He goes back to saying Rabbi, not Messiah. He doesn't go back to say, "Oh, you're the Messiah. You're this." No. What does he say, Rabbi? You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Okay, a little bit. Not to geekish, geek this out a little bit more on, on traditional introductions. Does this introduction? Oh, go back. Go back. Go back. Sorry. Does this introduction look familiar? Rabbi, we know that was a title for a good teacher, a good man. A, um, you are who the son of God. Doesn't say the son of Joseph here. Did you catch this? He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, and you are the King of Israel. To break that down, look at the next slide. Here we see Rabbi means teacher, son of God, Messiah, King of Israel, God. That's the introduction. That's what he says. That's exactly what he recognizes. Rabbi, you are the Messiah and God. Now, Nathaniel may have been speaking beyond his own intelligence. The very fact that he was able to get the, 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 the nature of being God and the Son in this statement, either he was given incredible, extraordinary brilliance, or he just got it out and didn't know it but he's absolutely 100% correct when he calls him Messiah, and he also calls him the King of Israel, which is God. Don't ever underestimate the theology of anyone who gets saved and has absolutely no biblical training. I had a, uh, in a college group years ago, this is 2001, 2000, there was a kid, uh, his name's Ramsey. He was a, he was a DJ in, uh, in the area. Not like a wedding dj it was like a club dj this guy would go play and he was known as dj ramsey i mean they would have ads on the radio dj ramsey is gonna be playing at whatever and dj th- this guy ramsey and i would um we would go out to lunch we would go hang out and it, it, djs the D- djs have a they have a rap that then how they talk and sometimes it's a stage act other times it's just who they are in this case it was ramsey this is how he spoke and he's talking to me like this, you know. He goes, Jake, man, I'm telling you, you got to get this this Jesus thing. Is all, He's just crazy, like, converted. And he's like, the way he's talking. To, and I'm just like, Ramsey, you just sound incredible. Like, he said, man, I'm telling you, I had 5,000 people at this concert. And I took a break and told him, man, this is what Jesus done to my. This guy was on fire, you know. And he's like, you got to tell me. He says, you got to tell me what to do with my girlfriend. And he says, tell me about your girlfriend. He goes, well, she's got questions, doesn't know anything. But you know, I I got to I got to tell her, I got she's got to get saved, man. She's getting. You know, I'm sitting there in my office, and I'm about to fly out. I'm going to Atlanta. I said, Ramsey, well, I got to go. And when's your girlfriend gonna be back in town? And, you know, she lived in Raleigh. He said, Well, she's gonna. I don't know. He said, it Should be a while. And I said, we'll just um, man, go just talk to her. You know how it works. I I shared with you, and you can share with somebody. Remember, come and see. you can go tell somebody else. Keep this line going he's like well i'm gonna call her right now and so he hits the speaker on the phone calls and i'm getting up i'm leaving he's like, caroline and she goes yeah ramsey I said what are you doing i'm driving down the road ramsey what is it you know i'm like and uh it's like something out of jersey shore or something isn't <laughs> it and so i'm this and listen and he says uh, caroline you got to get saved <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking she says safe from what Ramsey She goes, you got to get saved you're freaking me out Ramsey what's going on so it's am listen to this I'm outside my wall my office I mean I am I'm about lose it I mean I'm I'm trying to hold it in he's like look the um Jake just left I can't get it out get off the interstate go find a church go find a church right now And she goes, where, Ramsey? Why? She says, just go. And so she says, well, I'm off the interstate. What am I looking for? She says, just find a church. I see one. This is going on. I'm going to be late for my flight. I'm listening to the whole thing. And she says, I, I got one, I got one. He says, what is it? He goes, it's some uh, Baptist church. He said, all right, just pull in. Go knock on the door. And she's knocking. And she's like, Ramsey, what is going on? What's happening? And he said, just knock on the door. She goes, nobody's there. Go, go around. She says, well, a car. She goes around. She opens the door, walks in the office. She goes, Ramsey, there's a lady here. He goes, good. Tell her you need to get saved. Call me later. Bye. <laughs> Hangs up the phone. <laughs> this honest to goodness happened. She got saved. <laughs> this little lady in Mount Olive Baptist Church has this girl from you know New Jersey where walk in like I need to get saved, you know, and a woman's like leads her, and sure enough, she's a mom, you know, whose kid by the way was at our house on New Year's Eve, it, you know, running around and uh, not not that big, it was big but I uh, I sit there and think, man, there there's no preacher needed. There is no, well, let me just walk down the messianic line here. No, it was just a willing spirit of somebody to say, man, I found something. I mean, I saw that happen. It never left me. Ever. I still see Ramsey once a year. If you need to buy a car, he works at CarMax. he get you a good deal. You know Who's going to witness to you, though? I'll tell you that. He goes to a hip-hop church on Fowler Avenue. And he invites me to concerts all the time. Still DJing. Still loving God. And guess what? He doesn't look like some white Republican in a blue blazer. He looks different. And thank God. God is good. God didn't look to the church to say, I want to build my disciple. He looked at ordinary people. Say, I want to do extraordinary things through you. So Nathaniel... When he said, man, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the son of Israel. Watch the response in verse 50. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He says, do you really think just because I saw you under a fig tree, that was it? That was enough to propel you to this faith? You're going to see greater things than these. See, Nathaniel took a huge step based on this, a miracle. A miracle. If you're not careful, if you walked with the Lord long enough, you know what jailhouse conversions look like. You know what conversions look like to happen at, uh, at rehab centers. You know what happens in places where people are hurting. There's a magnificent conversion. But have you noticed, have you watched historically what happens? The miracle wears off. It wears off. That is why we want to encourage you in your daily walk to not wait the next great thing not wait for the next great church service or the great message but to wake up every day with the realization that in this word in this are things that jesus is saying i want you to come and see every day you have that ability every day we have that privilege jesus knew people were going to be drawn to signs and wonders one take in one case in John 4, there's an official whose son was dying. Jesus is approached by this official. He says, Jesus, you've got to heal my son. He's dying. Would you come with me, please? And Jesus says, go home. He's going to be all right. He's going to be fine. And so Jesus said, I'm going to make him better. In verse, four, verse 48 of chapter 4, he says this. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. This theme goes on through the book of John. It goes on to the other Gospels. Jesus says, I, you just want signs and wonders. I mean, how many times do we think, man, if I could have Jesus walk around with me in 2018, you know how easy it'd be. I, maybe walk into Florida Hospital and say, heal somebody. Let's take him to somebody. Let's get him out of the hospital bed. Let's do something. Let's, Jesus said, "If the signs that he had then weren't sticking with people. They got used to them. So used to them that a freakish story occurred where the church actually, when they were trying to arrest Jesus, grabbed a man, talk about cruelty, grabbed a man with a withered hand, took him to Jesus, and said, heal him. Not because they didn't think he could heal him, they knew he could heal him. They wanted Jesus to heal him on the Sabbath. Why? So they could arrest Jesus. How cruel can you be? So if you think for a moment, the world would grow warm to a Jesus who would walk around and just show miracles. The world didn't then and it wouldn't now. Jesus said, you need these miracles and these signs. But understand, you're going to see great things happen. Verse 51, the last verse of this chapter. And he said to them, truly, truly, not just a double honesty measure, truly behold, truly truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on who? The son of man. He says you're going to see angels descending and ascending on the son of man. You notice the son of man. There's a reason here. Jesus is going to refer to himself as this is his term of endearment. This is what he calls himself. He's going to call himself this over 80 times. He says, you are going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. They knew what he was alluding to. He was alluding to, in, in Genesis, Jacob was uh, one of the great patriarchs, one of the great fathers of the faith. And he was getting worn out. He was, he was tired. He was, he, was, he was discouraged. And so one day, he's walking along the path. He grabs a rock, puts a rock under his head, and goes to sleep. And God gave him a dream. And God gave him a dream to, to encourage him. And here's what the dream was in John or in uh, Genesis 28, verse 12. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. They had heard this story. They knew this story. They lived this story. And this whole time... They remembered what it was like for one of their heroes to be replenished. Jesus says you're not just going to see things that look like that. He's saying this. The ladder, the staircase that was referred to, I'm it. Angels are going to ascend and descend on me and my shoulders. You are going to see things you never thought possible. There ends the first chapter of the book of John. What an incredible, rich chapter. To see this period of time where just one disciple after the next are coming and they're going after and they're they're, they're approaching Jesus. And the reality is, we still have that privilege now. You know how excited I get when somebody texted me yesterday and said, are there any spots left on that tour of Tampa because I've got two friends that won't come to church, but they'll go to that. That's why we're going around on a tour. Just to be together, to get to know each other, and we're telling people, "Come and see, come and see that there's really nice people here. They're not the freaks you've been told about." I want you to come and see that what it means, what it looks like for us, uh, people who gather in here. Nobody asks you what you make. Nobody asks you what you do. Nobody, nobody probes with questions that are that are just that are fake and plastic. This is a place where we want people to come in and feel comfortable, feel loved. That's the kind of God we serve. A God that still says, go and tell. And we go to people and say, come and see. That's the magnificence of John chapter 1. Thanks for bearing with me. I know it was a lot of choppiness of going back and forth to this and that. But you held on. I didn't see anybody fall asleep. Except Ryan over there. Uh, so, you know, anyway, Ryan, thanks for praying for me, bro. I really appreciate that. The 9 o'clock crowd, I had them all knocked out, man. They were, what, a, what a gift I have. Um, hey, uh, don't forget this storm is coming in. and you Be careful when to get you out of here in good time. Next week is that meeting right afterwards. We're going to talk about a lot of really cool stuff. So. Um, and uh, Pastor Jeff, thank you for uh, the, the apologetics. went really well. Some of you guys were texting me and said it was an awesome class and they liked it a lot, so thank you. So Hey, would you stand with me as we pray and we'll close out with one song. Lord, we thank you for today. Thanks for this church, Lord, that is just a loving group and incredible people. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we've had to worship, to study your word together. Thank you, Lord, for um, the fact that we know that we have the promise in you to see things we can never imagine. Thanks for Dan and Sue Ebert being with us today, Lord, that, that we get to see people who are still in the go-and-tell business of just taking your gospel to people all around the world. Thank you, Father, we get to um, stand under their tree a little bit as well. Lord, we thank you for, um, for all that's going on in our church. Keep us close to you, Lord. Let us uh, continue to grow based on how you would grow us. Father, grow us deep grow us as a greater loving church. Father, we we think of the Carrillos here and their loss and uh and what they what they've been going through and Lord, we we just ask you to comfort them. Let us love on them as a church in way we can. In Jesus name we pray.